Dr. Lindsay Laird Coolidge is an art historian specializing in late 19th century, early 20th century printmaking. She earned her PhD at Columbia University, receiving numerous fellowships, including one in the Department of Prints and Photographs at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, while at at another New York City landmark, the Museum of Modern Art. She organized exhibitions, including color prints from France, 1890 to 1910. She recently retired from 20 years of teaching art history, first at Harvard University's Extension School, and then at Northeastern University. And in addition to teaching, she was a guest curator at the Lyman Allen Museum of Art, Her books include the award-winning A Sense of Place, Painters of Monotuck. I'm I'm mispronouncing that. How do you say it? Matunic, thank you. Matunic, I meant to get clarification before I did this intro. Um, um, So, A Sense of Place, Painters of Matunic, Rhode Island, 1873 to 1841. My apologies for screwing that up. Uh, She joins us today to discuss her latest book, Sublime Impressions, Prints and Printmakers of the Grand Canyon, released last month to coincide with the canyon's 100th year as a national park. It's one of the first extensive studies of printmakers' depictions of that natural wonder, so please join me in welcoming Dr. Coolidge. Thank you very much, Will, and it is a pleasure to be here this afternoon because I'm speaking to you exactly a week after the centennial celebration of the Grand Canyon as a national park. The park was established in in February 26, 1919, which was part of the impetus for me uh, writing this book. The earliest printed images of the Grand Canyon appeared in 1861 in a congressional congressional report by Lieutenant Joseph C. Ives titled Report on the Colorado River of the West, explored in 1857 and 1858, under the direction of the Office of Exploration and Surveys by order of the Secretary of War. On this first government-sponsored exploration of the Grand Canyon, Ives was accompanied by a topographer, a geologist, and two artists, who lavishly illustrated his report with maps and panoramic views based on their drawings. Although the group did not descend the Colorado River, they explored the canyon from from the rim to the floor. Heinrich Baldwin Mollison, was a German by birth and training and had been on a number of Western expeditions before joining Ives in 1857. He transforms the Grand Canyon into a series of stylized buttes, adding patterned repetition to the topography. For example, inside canyons of the Colorado, he includes croggy rock masses in the left and right foreground, followed by simplified butte-like forms in the middle ground, and high canyon walls rising in the distance. Thus, the first prints of the Grand Canyon were romanticized and imaginative views consistent with the unconquerable quality of the canyon itself. The second congressionally mandated expedition to survey the Grand Canyon was significantly different from the first. It was led by John Wesley Powell, who in 1869 had successfully navigated the Colorado River. 
1870, Congress appropriated funding for Powell to return to the canyon under the direction of the Smithsonian Institution, and then increased his funding in 1872. During his second expedition, Powell faithfully surveyed the canyon and the Colorado River. In comparison to Ives' earlier trip to the Grand Canyon, Powell's was more scientifically based, which in part reflected the shifting cultural values in the United States following the Civil War. Powell realized that to captivate the American population, he would need to do far more than produce a government report on the Grand Canyon. For this reason, he asked famed landscape painter Thomas Moran to join him in 1873, and Moran spent seven weeks with the explorer. Before Moran arrived in the Grand Canyon, he and Powell had contracted with Scribner's Monthly for a three-part illustrated article, The Canyons of the Colorado, which ran during January, February, and March of 1875. The artist created 24 illustrations, some based on photographs taken by fellow explorers John Carl Hillers and E.O. Beeman. In comparison to the woodblock prints by Mollison, Moran's are far more accurate and cover a wider range of specific views. Some, such as Noonday Rest in Marble Canyon, illustrate Powell's trip down the Colorado, including specific details of the boats and the site. In others, such as Moab Canyon, looking west, Moran focuses on the geology of the canyon. Using a vertical format, he highlights the various rock strata of the canyon and the unique rock formations in the foreground. Following in Powell's footsteps, geologist Clarence Dutton completed the U.S. Geological Survey's monograph of the Grand Canyon District in 1882, which included an atlas with 23 sheets of illustrations and maps. The majority of the illustrations were done by the expedition's lead artist, William Henry Holmes. However, two were drawn by Thomas Moran, who also accompanied Dutton. Holmes, an amateur artist and geologist, and Moran, the landscape painter, conveyed two different approaches to representing the canyon. In the transept Kaibab Division Grand Canyon, Moran renders a seemingly descriptive view of the area that cuts through the deepest part of the canyon. Dutton named the Kaibab Division in his survey and described it as the sublimest portion of the chasm, being nearly a thousand feet deeper than any other. But the greater depth is by no means the chief reason for this superior grandeur. The Kaibab division is far more diversified and complex than the others and is adorned with a multitude of magnificent features which are either wanting or much less strongly represented elsewhere." End quote. By 1880, when Dutton was surveying the canyon, the sublime was a well understood term in American painting, referring to the awe-inspiring qualities of nature, an aesthetic epitomized by Moran. Moran's expansive viewpoint, powerful contrast of dark and light forms, and infinite space resemble his well-known painting of the Grand Canyon and convey this sensibility. He includes four men surveying the scene before them, barely visible in the foreground. And they are actually right here to emphasize the grandeur of nature and the humility of humankind uh, in comparison. 
The masterpiece of Dutton's Atlas is a three-sheet panorama from the Point Sublime to the Kaibab by Holmes, and what you see here is the first sheet. Dutton named Point Sublime, a remote plateau located 18 miles from the midpoint of the North Rim. The point is one of the promontories which projects far out into the heart of the chasm and offers comprehensive views of the ge geological history of the Grand Canyon. Dutton naming, Dutton's naming of Point Sublime assimilates his clear understanding of 18th and 19th century aesthetic theory, and Holmes includes this sense of overwhelming beauty in his topographical panorama. Unlike all but one other lithograph in the atlas, this one is printed in shades of sepia and brown, augmenting the sense of realism. It is far more expansive, not only in width, but in the endless depth of vision. Two men in the left foreground, presumably Dutton and Holmes, are among the first Anglo-Americans to witness the scene before them, described by Dutton as sublime in the highest degree. In 1892, Jules Bauman, an entrepreneur and self-proclaimed artist, made the first commercial lithograph for intrepid tourists visiting the Grand Canyon. Bauman settled in Prescott in 1879 and operated a number of local businesses, which he promoted in a panoramic city of the lithograph of the city of Prescott. His second lithograph, which you see here, shows a partial view of Prescott, as well as an expansive view of the Grand Canyon, as seen from John Hans's ranch on the South Rim. Hans was one of the first settlers in the canyon, making his home there in the late 1880s. He successfully established commercial interests in mining and tourism, despite the arduous trip to the canyon. Bauman's depiction of the canyon is stylistically similar to the works by Mulhausen, with its fantastical peaks and whimsical rock strata. The foreground vegetation is lush, and the distinct peaks combine rust orange and moss green tones. Unlike the federally sponsored expedition publications, Bauman advertised his print for sale in the Arizona Weekly Journal Minor, stating, this is the finest and only successful representation of that great wonder of nature, sent by mail on receipt of one dollar, end quote. <laughs> Bauman continued to sell this print to the growing number of tourists following the completion of the Santa Fe Railroad from Williams to the Grand Canyon Village in 1901. The next generation of painter printmakers shifted their focus away from purely representational views. They no longer utilized commercial printmaking techniques and instead experimented with original print media to create fine art. And to a large extent, they transformed the role of printmaking in the United States. By 1912, when Joseph Pinnell created the first fine art prints of the Grand Canyon, the canyon was already well known to painters. After the Santa Fe Railroad added the final leg of tracks to Grand Canyon Village and completed the El Tovar Hotel in 1905, the railroad began sponsoring artists to paint the majestic scenery of the canyon and to collect their paintings in return. Like the Santa Fe Railroad painters, Joseph Pinnell resided at the El Tovar, where he produced a series of 10 lithographic crayon drawings of the Grand Canyon for transfer lithographs. Pinnell, an 
American expatriate living in London had traveled to San Francisco and Yosemite before arriving in the Grand Canyon in April 1912. He described the canyon as too wonderful and suggestive and inspiring for words, and no one in painting and drawing has touched it, and I have only seen the rim." End quote. Pennell's words suggest the degree to which the awe-inspiring quality of the Grand Canyon daunted many artists, as well as his confidence in using it as a subject for a significant series of prints. Pennell had perfected large-scale lithographic transfer drawings two years earlier in London, allowing him to scrape out mistakes and redraw large passages, or simply to exploit subtractive techniques for broad or fine highlights, lending texture to the composition. As a result, his crayon drawings, such as the walled city, are extraordinarily immediate, have a powerful graphic quality, and are filled with textural detail. The title, evoking an urban reference, reinforces the shift away from a purely topographical focus. Every gesture Pinnell made is visible on the sizable paper, which measures 22 by 16 and 3 quarters inches, and his response to the magnitude of the Grand Canyon is palpable. Pinnell's prints are defined by their realism, but the artist included abstracted lithographic dashes and dots that distinguish them from those by Moran. Storm in the Canyon closely resembles the walled city compositionally, although it includes a view of the Colorado River below. The background storm encompasses swirling clouds and rain showers created by powerfully scraped lines. These markings, which indicate rain, and those of the background canyon walls merge together, creating areas that are difficult to define. Pennell's realism is dominant, yet his manipulation of the media moved his prints away from pure representation and set the course for painter printmakers who followed him. Three of the lithographs Pennell printed from the transfer drawings, The Walled City, Storm in the Canyon, and The Castle, were exhibited at the Panama Pacific International Exposition of 1915 in San Francisco. Their inclusion was significant, and presumably they were selected by Pinnell, who is both chair of the group jury for etchings and engravings and honorary secretary for the advisory committee for Great Britain. Of equal interest at the Panama Pacific Exposition was the inclusion of the Grand Canyon Pavilion. It was sponsored by the Santa Fe Railroad, attesting to the increasing importance of the canyon in the imaging of the country and of the West in particular. The caption in the Red Book Views of the Panama Pacific International Exposition uh, states, um, the pavilion occupies a commanding position on the zone. It is a gigantic undertaking to give an adequate idea of the Grand Canyon, but the result attained is wonderful in its realism." End quote. Another early painter lithographer to capture the Grand Canyon was a Swedish-born Berger Sandes. Sandes began printmaking in 1916 when his dealer convinced him to translate his drawings into prints. One of the first images he created was a glimpse of the Grand Canyon. This may be among the prints his publisher sent to Joseph Pennell in London for his review. Pennell was more than impressed with the work, writing, I am very glad to have Mr. Sanson's lithographs. They are the only ones I have seen done in the U.S. which have any character, end quote. 
Sanson's print is a more abstracted vision of the Grand Canyon than Pennell's realistic ones. His forms are reduced to simpler shapes and patterns of line abound in the clouds and distant rocks of the canyon. While he reserves his darkest tans for the foreground area, he combines them with large areas of white paper, emphasizing the figure-ground relationship. Sanson was aware of what Pennell had referred to as the untouched or untouchable quality of the canyon by artists. In an article entitled The Southwest as a Sketching Ground, published in the Fine Arts Journal of 1915, Sanson asserted, the Wild West longed seemed unpaintable. It was so new, strange, big, and unsympathetic. Another reason why the serious critic and artists have been slow to overcome their prejudice against the Western artist and his work is simply that so many terrible sins have been committed in the name of Western art. We can think we can think without a shiver of the panoramic views of the Grand Canyon, chaotic in color and design, done by certain early surveyors and photographers that in our art history have been put down as artists." End quote. Sanson successfully overcame those sins in his print of the Grand Canyon through careful distillation and simplification. In contrast to fine art lithography, which was introduced to the United States by Pennell and James McNeil Whistler, the etching revival movement was well established in the late 19th century, and etchers and painter etchers soon arrived to capture the unique beauty of the Grand Canyon. The New York artist Albert Grohl may have been the first of this group to visit the canyon. In 1914, he made a delicate pencil sketch close to the rim, which he may have used as a study for this etching Grand Canyon, Arizona. The etching captures both the details of the foreground flora and the expansive rocks of the canyon in the distance. Grohl uses deep space and varied tonal qualities to sharply juxtapose the two areas. The foreground is deeply etched with dark lines in contrast with the light tonal areas of the background. The image is conventional, yet the foreground cropping leaves a modernist sensibility to what may have been the first original etching of the Grand Canyon. Most etchers who portrayed the canyon moved to the west, including George Albert Burr, who moved to Denver in 1906, etching the mountains of of Colorado and the deserts of Arizona and New Mexico, and to Phoenix in 1924. In 1921, Burr completed a series of 35 etchings of the Southwest, aptly named the Desert Set, which included an extraordinary soft ground etching of the Grand Canyon. Thus, like many American artists, he felt the pull of American subjects. Collectors in the early 20th century also began to favor Western scenes, which fostered a unique sense of nationalistic pride. Burr made a delicate transfer drawing of the Grand Canyon, defined by fine, repetitive lines that create patterns across the page. When he reworked it into this soft ground etching, the print assumed a greater textural quality. The lines blur and the tonal qualities are significantly heightened. The contemporary critic Edith W. Powell described the uniqueness of this print for Burr, who used, quote, a broader, coarser stroke than is his wont, striking out for greater size and forcefulness. The flat geometric pattern of the rocks lends it a distinctly modern appearance. 
end quote. There is no doubt that the term forcefulness is appropriate to define Burr's print. Blacks dominate the etching with small areas of white in the distant sky. Unlike other etchers who made one or two prints of the Grand Canyon, Ferdinand Bergdorf made a series of at least 10 views on a single visit in 1927. Only Joseph Pinnell and Thomas Moran had depicted the canyon from so many varied viewpoints. Most of Bergdorf's views from the series, including Grand Canyon, Arizona Number 1, are from the rim of the canyon and follow a consistent compositional aesthetic. In each, the foreground rocks and trees are deeply etched and darkly inked in stark contrast to the pale, delicate background of the canyon itself. These tonal shifts correspond to sharp spatial juxtapositions between the foreground and background elements. In a later print in the series, Grand View Trail, the angle of the composition becomes more oblique. The dark, gnarled trees of the background push forward toward the surface, and the rocks at the right of the trail seem to fall from the path and off the paper. The entire print has a sense of movement and of shifting objects that veer toward the edges, as though opening the trail for the passing traveler. The trail is 12 miles east of the Grand Canyon village, so it is quite likely that Bergdorf explored much of the area on his etching trip. The most unusual print in the series is also entitled Grand View Trail and was presumably created at the head of the trail seen in its namesake print. It is also inscribed first aerial picture of the canyon. The image is so abstracted it is difficult to ascertain the elements of the open window, storm clouds, and Grand Canyon. The window set at a diagonal to the page is propped open by a pole and must be in a stone cabin at Horseshoe Mesa, three miles into the canyon and at the end of the Grandview Trail. It is easy to imagine Bergdorf moving inside the cabin and capturing the oncoming storm. He focuses on the dark window frame, which fills three quarters of the image, and depicts the Grand Canyon distantly below. In the middle ground, the storm clouds merge with the buttes and also pass close to the foreground window frame. Adding to the elusive perspective, unlike most of his contemporaries, Bergdorf was an artist who explored the canyon both physically and artistically, created a, creating a varied body of work that is at once cohesive and also progressively more experimental. Other California-based painter printmakers who interpreted the Grand Canyon in etchings in the early decades of the 20th century were the brothers Benjamin and Howell Chambers Brown. Unlike other printmakers before them, it appears that the Browns descended into the canyon. Benjamin Brown made a dry point in the depths of the Grand Canyon, which includes the Colorado River. His emphasis on the soft haziness of the medium suggests the extremely hot temperatures associated with the depths of the canyon. Likewise, Howell Brown did an etching, Temple of Zoroaster, Grand Canyon, presumably looking upward. Zoroaster has a distinctively high pointed top, which is emphasized in Brown's unusual perspective. The Brown brothers also experimented with color etching and monotype, and it is possible that Benjamin Brown created the first color fine art print of the Grand Canyon, a small monotype measuring five by six and three quarters inches. 
Brown's print is delicate, subtle, painterly, and intimate. It has the immediacy of being painted and printed on plein air, with a heightened palette of blues, yellows, and oranges that perfectly captures the reflect reflecting sun on the strata of rocks. The abstracted sophistication and simplicity of the composition resemble that of his Grand Canyon paintings. However, the experimental quality of the monotype makes it unique among Grand Canyon images. The subject and composition seem close in, co in conception to that of Howell's Temple of Zoroaster. A comparison of the two provides a visual explanation of how different printmaking techniques transform the content and meaning of the subject. They are both abstracted, one with line, tone, and white paper, and the other with color and shape. The printmaking technique most closely associated with the Grand Canyon is the woodcut. To a certain degree, the popularity of the medium paralleled that of the canyon following its acquired status as a national park. The strong craftsman-style quality of woodcut prints relates to the contemporary architecture on the South Rim, which is defined by a prevailing sense of materials, both wood and stone. With its rustic appearance, the Lookout Studio, completed by architect Mary Elizabeth Jane Coulter in 1914, melds into the Grand Canyon itself. As the rocks define the Lookout Studio, hand-carved blocks define the elegant weightiness and texture of the woodcut prints by Gustav Bauman, Hiroshi Yoshida, and Howard Norton Cook. Arthur Wesley Dow began the arts and crafts woodcut tradition in the United States and inspired a generation of printmakers, foremost among them Gustav Bauman. Bauman moved to Taos, New Mexico from Chicago in 1918 and later that year settled in Santa Fe. He made the Grand Canyon the subject of five prints, although he painted gouache studies for many more. They show multiple vantage points, perspectives, and even varying weather conditions, and they combine modernist abstraction with actual views. For each print, Bauman began with a gouache study, carved multiple blocks, one for each color, and printed them on a letterpress. Like so many other artists, Bauman wrote that the Grand Canyon was an artist's nightmare, adding, you see a wonderful composition, and when you look back, it's gone. See how fast the clouds are moving. This is the reason no one can paint the canyon, end quote. And perhaps this is why Bauman focused on woodcut prints. Bright Angel Trail from 1922 vibrates with fuchsias, turquoises, orange, blues, yellows, and purples. The grain of the wood blocks create texture and define shapes. Oblique angles and sharp juxtapositions between the foreground and background permeate the composition and suggest the influence of Japanese prints. Bauman's woodcuts are as decorative as they are imaginative, and he uses the Grand Canyon as a starting point to abstract the extraordinary colors and rock masses that define it. In addition, Bauman made subtle changes with each printed impression, primarily in the colors he used. Bauman began his prints by painting gouache studies of the canyon, some of which he altered significantly, while others he remained faithful to. A direct relationship exists between Bauman's gouache Grand Canyon Cedar Tree from 1921 and the woodblock prints he created that year. 
This gouache is far more painterly than earlier ones and features blocks of color and gestural lines to define the tree branches and roots of the cedar tree. Naturally, when Bauman translates the study to the print, the work becomes more linear and jagged. The roots disappear and are replaced by pointed grasses, and the tree branches become more punctuated. Blocks of color are replaced by subtle shifts of tonal ranges created from multiple colored blocks and printings. Bauman uses the blocks to make each impression unique. In the different impressions of Cedar Grand Canyon and Cedar Grand Canyon after the rain, he alters the colors as well as the titles. He varies the sky from blue to turquoise and the buttes of the canyon from orange to purple, thereby altering the green tones of the foliage. The greens are far more vibrant in the latter in keeping with the look of the desert after a rainstorm. In his final Grand Canyon print, Grand Canyon from 1934, Bauman indicates the labor and complexity of technique. In the margins, he indicated the number of blocks used as well as those rejected. He annotated this impression in the Worcester Art Museum. This is it, such as it is, five blocks used, seven discarded, a boom in the lumber business, end quote. Thereby suggesting the labor and complexity of his process. For his composition, he looked back to a painting from his first visit to the canyon as his source of inspiration. In the woodcut, distance is created as the imagery moves higher up the horizon line, making linear perspective secondary. Patterns abound throughout the image, especially patterns of dots. Dotted borders characterize all of Bauman's prints, but here the rock strata are defined by an overlay design of dots. Bauman achieves a fantastical quality of the Grand Canyon, and like others before him, he uses abstraction as the necessary artistic tool to create a powerful print of the canyon. Given the influence of Japanese prints on Bauman's work, it is only fitting that the Japanese artist Hiroshi Yoshida created a woodblock print, The Grand Canyon. Japanism, or the craze for Japanese art, and the influence of Japanese aesthetics began in America in 1876 at the Philadelphia Centennial Exhibition and presented an alternative to realistic representations for American artists. Artist. Yoshida made three visits to the United States and traveled to the Western states on his third trip from 1923 to 1924. He was a prolific traveler whose ambition was to create a print series of 100 views of the world, including the Grand Canyon. His print, Grand Canyon, made upon his return to Japan, combines abstraction and a seemingly composite view of the canyon, favoring a balanced composition. Pattern combined with strongly delineated outlines and contrasts of color is central to the artist's aesthetic. The result is not a view of the canyon, but a personalized expression that straddles imagination and realism. The other prominent American woodcut artist to visit the Grand Canyon was Howard Norton Cook. He began his career at the Art Students League in New York in 1919, and then studied printmaking with Joseph Pennell from 1922 to 1923. Cook traveled to Taos in 1926 and to, decided to settle there permanently. He made two woodcuts of the Grand Canyon in 1927. 
including Grand Canyon. The extremely high horizon line, reduced space, and simplified forms all lead to a modernist interpretation. Cook exploits the craftsmanship of cutting the block, and the grain of the wood becomes the predominant feature of the print. He uses it to emphasize the layer of, of rocks forming the canyon, and the absence of color enhances the abstract line. In his woodcut Grand Canyon number two, Cook further simplifies his image of the canyon by reducing the number of rock strata. He utilizes a strong vertical orientation and closely crops the limited number of peaks, with the exception of the most distant one. Perspective is flattened and distance is indicated by the height of an object in relation to its placement in the composition. In his second view of the canyon, unlike his first, Cook experiments with intense contrasts of lights and darks. In addition to woodcut prints, at least one Grand Canyon artist in the 1930s experimented with the relatively new technique of liner cut, a process that substitutes linoleum blocks for wood blocks. The Chicago artist Marvin Francis Thompson followed many others from that city to the canyon. Because of the softness and malleability of linoleum, it is possible Thompson worked on his arts and crafts style print on plein air. His Grand Canyon is more abstracted than those of both his fellow etchers and other block print artists. His print is virtually a two-dimensional image in which the foreground tree branches mesh with the outlines of the distant rock formations. The horizon line is just below the top edge of the print and is overlapped by the cropped tree branches. The cropping, linear emphasis, and asymmetrical composition results in a modernist interpretation of the canyon. Thompson, more than any artist before him, uses the canyon as a source of inspiration, which he transforms into an abstracted vision of swirling lines on flat space. The final printmaking media used in the United States before World War II was seriography, a technique utilized by artists during the Works Progress Administration. Part of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, the Federal Art Project was a division of the WPA that commissioned approximately 2,000 posters between 1936 and 1943. A series of 16 posters of the national parks was commissioned by the WPA including the Grand Canyon National Park, a free government service, in about 1938. The spectacular poster, defined by a strong graphic quality, was designed to be viewed from a distance. Vibrant purples and pinks with highlights of orange and blue describe the canyon. The abstracted and repetitive shapes of the rock formations create patterns of otherworldly beauty. The message of conveying the importance of both the National Park Service and their, this particular national treasure for the United, the United States is clear. The WPA also provided New Mexican artist Louis Ewing with the necessary materials to establish a silkscreen workshop in Santa Fe. Ewing made numerous posters in addition to small-scale prints of the Grand Canyon, including Old Jupiter Grand Canyon and Grand Canyon. These images are reduced to flat areas of color as dictated by the medium, with sections of white paper left untouched. 
Ewing limited his palettes to blues, greens, and browns, with small additions of pale yellow and pink in his highly abstracted prints. In Grand Canyon, shadows and distances are simply implied with shapes of blue, and the foreground is created with a band of navy blue suggesting trees. In Old Jupiter Grand Canyon, the juxtaposition between the S-curve of the foreground tree and the distant background serves to flatten the pictorial space. While never becoming completely abstract, Ewing's seriographs are significantly modern in interpretation. The post-World War II period brought with it a fundamental shift in American art. Many European artists immigrated to the United States, particularly to New York City, and brought with them an abstracted aesthetic. Styles that had dominated the early half of the 20th century, such as the etching revival and the arts and crafts movement, had run their course. During this period, however, avant-garde printmakers Werner Drews and Mitch Cohn visited the Grand Canyon. Drews immigrated to New York City in 1930 following his student years at the Bauhaus in Germany and was well-versed in the fine art of woodcut, a medium he would pursue for six decades. He created both non-objective and highly abstracted prints, often combining two, as in Grand Canyon number 240. The color woodcut is a study in near-complementary colors, figuring ground relations and spatial ambiguities. The buttes of the canyon are just barely recognizable and take their shape from the seemingly crude cut wood blocks. The blue and gray of the foreground blocks are repeated at the top of the page in broader shapes. The rough lines suggesting the rock strata and the sky are yellow, much like the center of the print. Here the yellows and oranges appear to create distant rock formations, yet the space is so reduced it is difficult to imagine a continuous landscape. Drew was inspired by the colors and shapes of the landscape to produce an abstracted composition that suggests rather than depicts the Grand Canyon. Cohn approached his work Grand Canyon with an even greater degree of abstraction than Drew's. He was one of the early lithographers at the Tamarin Lithography Workshop in 1961, and in keeping with the workshop's mission to revitalize the art of lithography, Cohn selected a subject of national significance and created an image inspired by the stone buttes and grandeur of the canyon without definition or clarity of form. The fluidity of, fluidity of the medium suggests abstract expressionist painting while the textural quality recalls the lithographs of Joseph Pinnell. Furthermore, the fantastical appearance of Cohn's prints evokes the first images of the canyon by Heinrich Baldwin Mollison, made over a century earlier, and it provides a unifying context for the history of printmaking in the Grand Canyon. From topographical explorers to avant-garde artists, the canyon has been rendered in every printmaking technique available to American artists in both black and white in color. Each topographer, illustrator, and artist printmaker approached the natural wonder with a unique style, and yet their works are united by the grandeur of the scenery and the significance of its place in the American psyche. The Grand Canyon Canyon represents 4.6 billion years, with each rock stratum visibly unfolding a geological history of the world, from the Precambrian to the present. 
There is no other place on earth that can claim the same. It is quite simply the oldest monument in the world and a significant testament to the United States geological history and national identity. It was and remains a place that inspires artistic interpretation, analysis, and synthesis. In short, those qualities that are intrinsic to all printmaking. Thank you. Thank you.